Hello, and welcome to Look-See, the podcast for the art curious. I'm Paige Goodpasture. Last week, I had the chance to talk with Jay Barrows, Emily Smith, and Park Myers about an exhibition currently on view at 1708 Gallery in Richmond of some early work by artist Cindy Nushwander. They, together with Angeline Robertson, drew on an extensive body of work to create this show that offers a glimpse into Cindy's early development as an artist. Cindy, who died in 2012, became known especially for her sensuous, abstract, encaustic paintings, but her artistic journey was diverse and varied. She focused on straight photography early in her career, using a large-format box camera to produce modern images that explored issues of identity, vulnerability, relationship and isolation, among other things. In the work on view in this show, Cindy experimented with where photography could take her in her exploration of these ideas. She painted and collaged over the images, marking and scratching the surface and sometimes even the negatives. The result was a body of work made in the late 1980s that draws the viewer in with color and directness while also keeping one out by obscuring and disguising the figures in the images beneath. It's a wonderfully engaging moment of connection with Cindy as an emerging artist. Jay, Emily, and Park shared their thoughts with me about putting this show together and reflecting on Cindy's artistic life. I am here at 1708 Gallery with three fine folks who have all had a very important part in the current exhibition that is on view at 1708 through August 18th. So I'm really excited to talk to all three of you about this exhibition and about the life and work of Cindy Nushwander, whose work is the subject of this show. So I'd love for you all to introduce yourselves since there are four of us in this conversation. So uh, Jay Barrows, I am the Cindy and Francis Lewis private curator. I was married to Cindy from 2002 until her death and was also her art dealer before we were married. Hi, I'm Emily Smith. I'm the executive director of 1708 Gallery. Hello, I'm Park Myers. I'm the royal family curator at 1708 Gallery. And welcome to all three of you. Welcome to the Look-See podcast. Park, can you get us started in this conversation by telling us a little bit about the show? So it has a wonderful and very enigmatic title. So maybe we could start there. Could you tell us the title of the show and, and where that title comes from? Yes. The title of the show is What Were You After Then? What Are You After Now? With the subtitle Cindy Neuschwander, 1984 to 1990. And I think that's a definitely a good place to start because it explains a bit of the process that we all went through. And actually, the title came from a book that Jay had let me look through, and then I asked if I could keep it. And it was one of Cindy's books where she had noted different uh, lines and quotes from different artists. It was It's called Sketchbook with Writings by Artists, I believe. And in working through and, and selecting the works that were going to be the show and working through the exhibition, I was coming to learn Cindy's having not known her through her work. And and so obviously a, a title for a show like this is very important. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't speaking for Cindy, but somehow was using something that, that she had noted. And so this is actually a quote from that book. I think what it does is it, it sort of challenges one sense of time. So to show works from a certain period of time when she was more of an emerging artist and, and to do that 
from the 80s and then to do that in 2019 and sort of to ask the question. Um, I think it also asks the audience and I also think it asks younger artists to think about the arc of an artist's career. And I think I said enigmatic, but maybe a better a better way to describe it is open to lots of different interpretations. When I read the title, I could hear her voice saying that to herself, which is probably why she loved that quote, you know, just being intentional about what she was after as an artist in the past and what she was after now. And, you know, it just takes on even more meaning given that it's this particular body of work that was mid-career for her. And it's a great title. It made me think. Jay, can you speak a little bit about this particular time period and body of work and a little bit about maybe how that fits into the arc of Cindy's career as an artist? So I met Cindy in December of 1998, and she was doing painted bowls and furniture and making a living. She was an artist, but she was, wasn't really making art in the same way. And so when we got to know each other and she became more of a painter, and we got to know each other in a deeper way and seeing a history of who she was, I discovered some of these photographs that she kept around that were framed and she told me her story of going to the University of Texas and majoring in photography and then coming to VCU in the summer of 1983, thinking actually she was going to Charlottesville. She didn't look at the map very closely from Texas. She was surprised how hot it was here, like Texas. She started doing a series with, I think the photography department at that time was excellent. Great people were there. And she wanted to be a different photographer. She was doing black and whites with this box camera from 1915. And she came up with this idea to actually incorporate her mark making, collage, color, and they became quite successful in her mind, as well as her peers in the photography department. And in a 1986, maybe it was 87, she was invited to the group show at the Virginia Museum. One of the other photographers at that show was Sally Mann. The museum purchased two of Sally's and two of Cindy's. And that kind of gave her the impetus to say, well, maybe I have something here. So from 1987 to 1990, maybe 91, she was selling work. She was getting in important collections. She felt good about it. And then suddenly it just stopped. She didn't have the gallery or the curator or the dealer who could take these farther along. She was still doing photography, but she was basically doing people's photographs. And, and then she was, had to make a living. So that's when she started kind of an in-between process before the paintings. And when I got a chance to see these after we were together for a while, I went, well, why'd you stop doing these? And she said, because I already had works and I couldn't sell them and I didn't know what else to do. When we discovered these at my house, some which I had never seen, we thought, well, this might be interesting to figure out how to incorporate these into a retrospective, which turns out not to be a retrospective, but two shows in conjunction with each other, along with the Reynolds Gallery. And Emily, can you explain a little bit about this show and the show in conjunction with Reynolds and how that came about? Gosh, I mean, I've been thinking about a show of Cindy's work for a while, a year, year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And Reynolds was the obvious 
choice as a partner as they were representing her commercially, and we'd worked with them. And so we had some conversations. We went to visit Jay and look through the work that he had, including these, these early works, along with Angeline. So along with Jay and Park and myself, Angeline Robertson was a big part of this project. She had worked really closely with Cindy and was just a close friend of Cindy's and has really been kind of in some ways, along with Jay, Cindy's voice in this process, I would say, like like really helping us think about what would Cindy ask, what would Cindy say to these ideas, and has held up that part of the project in a way that's been really lovely to work with, and thought about these two parts of the project, ours and Reynolds, thought about how the works would be presented, how they would be framed. It was really, truly a fourth in this project. I mean, I think on one level, we all love working together. On another level, we all really wanted to celebrate Cindy and felt that it was important to do so and important to do it together. And I think as the conversations developed, as Park became involved, as Park and Angeline and Jay and I continued to meet, it became really clear that 1708's role should be to show this early work and to focus on this moment in Cindy's career that is similar to moments that many of our other exhibiting artists are experiencing now. And it was a very appropriate and relevant and exciting way to have a show that felt true to Cindy and true to 1708. And with Reynolds being on board to show the later work, it was a great partnership to have these two halves in concert at the same time. Park, can you give us an audio picture of this body of work. So we've been talking about photography, black and white photography, using this old box camera. But if you saw this work, that is not, I mean, in some cases, it wouldn't even be immediately identifiable as a photograph. Yes. One of the things in the planning of the exhibition design, as it were, we went around a couple different ideas and how to present uh, which bodies of work, maybe how to categorize them, organize them. And one of the things that became important to me, and, and Emily and I spoke about it a lot, is that while the majority of the exhibition further back into the gallery are collage on black and white photography, we thought it was important to also represent, as Jay mentioned earlier, the more straight black and white photography that was very much a part of her career. So as you enter the gallery, you come upon five photographs that we printed for the exhibition from her 8-inch by 10-inch negatives. I went through the slides quite a lot, as did Emily, and the selection was made not to over-articulate the content that you will see in the collage work that you follow through with, but to give you some sort of reference point. Perhaps there are gestures or ideas like masking or symmetry, exposing certain parts of the body, looking at especially like features such as the eyes and the ears that are directly approachable in the straight black and white photography. And then as you proceed into the latter half of the gallery, you start to see some of those nuances. I also want to mention that the first photograph that you come upon when entering the gallery is of Cindy, and she's holding up a, a white metal fence. And as I said before, I did not have the pleasure of knowing Cindy, but getting to know her through her work, which is a, just an, an honor as a curator, and that fence photograph is a, a really good signpost because it really shows the identity politics that she was 
I think, at the forefront that is still very relevant today, the idea of enclosure um, but visibility, um, the female body being prominent but understanding, you know, the idiosyncrasies of, of what it meant to be a woman at that time and, and now just as importantly today. So to get back to a little bit of a picture, as you move through, there are 18 works all framed in black. We decided to do a pretty conventional hang, but actually in order to give each individual work its own space to breathe. So in a way, when you come to a serial hang like that, you actually have a pace in which you can follow through. And I think once you are actually invested in each individual work, you start to realize how saturated the colors are, some of the more what I would consider political themes that she was dealing with, or personal, also familial, and about relationships. And then on the back wall, this is something that I learned from both Jay and Angeline, we decided to paint China red and to highlight one larger photograph on collage. And from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, that she did paint an entire room or entire floor this color. It also is just very striking, a very powerful moment. And then you continue to move through and see the other nine collages on photograph. And, and I think that uh, each one has its own particular story. One thing I should also say about the exhibition and the way that Emily and I worked on it and this, the decision of how to lay them out and what sequence and things like that, we were really thinking about not just the conversations that one is having next to another, as if they were somehow chronological, or but literally how they were happening across the room. There's a lot of duality. There's a lot of two figures. There's a lot of what I think sometimes is where there's one figure, but the other, it's still two figures in the sense that that figure is actually staring directly at you. So there are these moments where I think that the exhibition in its traditional hang actually is quite dynamic because of just how vibrant the works are. You've touched just now on some themes and ideas that you came to know in the work through getting to know the work for this exhibition. And I'd love for all of us to have a little bit of a, a conversation about some of those themes and the ways they presented themselves in this work and, and continued in the future work. Park, you've written about feeling as though there was a very specific expression of feminism that came across in this work. And you spoke to that a little bit just a minute ago, just as identity politics and what it means to be a woman then and and later. And, and as I walked through and, and looked at the show, some things that really jumped out at me or, you know, the way in which body parts were obscured or exposed, the way that eyes were emphasized, the way that sometimes the entire body was, the photograph is underneath of this collage and paint and other materials that have completely obscured and changed the shape of the body. And so what do you all see in all of that looking at this work now, Jay? <clears throat> Having a, a very personal relationship with this artist on many <laughs> levels, the reason there's either a singular figure or two people in these photographs, number one, Cindy was not a group person. The eyes and the ears are, if you, she was a wonderful one-on-one -on -one person. First of all, if you were having a conversation with her, she forced you to look at her. Because if you weren't looking at her, you weren't listening to her. And she was a good listener, and she wanted you to hear what she was saying. So when you go to this show, if you're in there by yourself, there's so many dialogues going on in this room. It's not about juxtaposition. There's conversations going on in this entire room. And there are also conversations if you're the viewer. 
one of the things we always discussed about art, you, the viewer, get to decide what you're looking at. She never liked to describe her work. So if you look at her abstract paintings, it was whatever you wanted it to be. Her titles were just words that she happened to love. But standing in front of these, I think, uh, and Emily had mentioned a lot of people had come back for a one, two, three times by themselves, and there's a quietness in the room, even if the video is going on, you hear her voice, and you're seeing this work. And you, as the viewer, get to decide, is she covering things up? What are the issues? I, I think that's the beauty of these photographs. The 30-year cycle of works being shown again, the relevance of 30 years ago is still there, and now there's even more relevance in today's world 30 years later. Emily? I found, it's interesting to hear you talk about, Jay, you talk about Cindy being a one-on-one person, not a group person, because I found that I've had a really specific response to the work, and that it's that's based in coming to 1708, and I started working at the gallery in 2010, and Cindy was a, just a personality that was just so clearly a part of the gallery's fabric, as for you, Jay. But I remember seeing her at the very first monster drawing, which was before I started. And then I remember having a conversation with her and Michael Lees, who's an artist and a board member at the gallery, about an exquisite corpse project. And just the sense of her, the commitment and the force of like, we're going to do this thing and we're going to do it well. And just the the confidence and the ability to envision something and articulate a plan and execute it was really inspiring and it was really palpable in the gallery's culture across all of the board members past and present, I would say. And so looking at these works now from an earlier period and imagining an artist trying to develop that sense of, of voice and confidence and perspective, I just put those things together right away. And it feels really, it really adds to, I think, the very tangible sense that, or the tangible contributions, rather, that Cindy brought to 1708. And it's really writ large in the gallery now, I think. You're talking about her confidence and determination to have an idea and actually make it happen. That's one of the things that I felt really strongly walking through the show is this confidence. It certainly is projected in in her work. And so these works are, they're photographs, they're collaged, they're painted, they're scratched. Sometimes she actually altered the negative. Sometimes she made a print and then applied many different techniques on top of that print. So they also have this really great experimental, playful, but seriously playful quality to them. Great colors, which as her career progressed, she continued to be a colorist, but to focus more on certain colors like the China Red and that must have really spoken to her soul. And so that's another thing that's really striking about about this work. Park, I really enjoyed reading your description of this show. And another thing that you talked about is how Cindy spoke about her studio as a cathedral. You spoke about wanting to present this work as a cathedral of ideas, in in a sense. And can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, she did refer to her studio as a cathedral. And while it's a a beautiful sentiment and being able to actually see it in the video that, that is in the exhibition and to hear her say that, I also 
kind of wanted to stretch the metaphor of what cathedral really means in the sense that it is a place of somewhat, uh, basically a place where you're going to to search and to find, but somewhat secular. So it's both meditative, but very in- lively as far as your internal process. I felt as though that was kind of using that as a metaphor for us to be able to actually look at this earlier part of her career. And when you talk about the scraffito and some of the mark making and to think about a place where you go to find some answers that aren't immediately available to you, be it in life or in art, that this was a moment to look at this body of work as a cathedral. So really just thinking about when when hearing her speak, it and speak about her process, it's almost as though she, well, she, she really does explain that it's, it's, a, it's a constant search, that it's not, it's not about all these immediate answers, that she's really, things just come about. And I think that that can happen when you're given the time and space to really, to spend and develop the ideas that, or, or, or think about the ideas that are being developed in the work. In writing the text for the exhibition, of course, wanting to be as considerate and and respectful of what it meant to be presenting this work posthumously. And the day of the opening, I think it was that morning, Jay actually found this last set of slides, which helped us title works that we weren't sure what the titles were. And it had some essays that Cindy had written that were academic, typewritten, yellowed paper. And I read them and I realized that what I had intuitively and hopefully was seeing in the work was actually something that she had spoken about. So it was kind of like this really nice, I don't want to say a bookend, but at least it was a moment where I realized we had done something that I think she would have been very thankful for. It came very much about conversations with Jay, Emily, and Angeline. I'm I'm not the most spiritual person, but for some reason it seemed like it was a moment that I was like, okay, (laughs) let's let's go open this exhibition. (laughs) This is a moment. You know, exploring, experimentation, change, accidents. She would be the first person to tell you some of her best work was not intentional. It was just, there was no preliminary drawing. There was no, it was basically taking what you see and in her mind, in her deep well, turning it into something she thought was interesting. There, you know, they could be emotional, they could be spiritual, they could be, they could be even political to a certain point. And to be able to do that and feel okay about it, not worrying about whether I liked it, her friends liked it. I mean, she destroyed more good paintings than I can possibly tell you, which I thought were wonderful, and she just didn't like them. And I think the same thing probably happened with some of these photographs. I would say that she was an, an island to herself when it came to the work, and nobody was going to basically tell her how to make it and what to make. And the end result was for you to decide. Jay, before you mentioned that she necessarily wasn't a group person, but what I find really prominent in this exhibition is how much her relationships were forefronted, be they familial, romantic, friends. That's just something else that I think this show has brought together a lot of people from different generations, people that are in the works, in the photography, in, in, in the collage. And I think that, that that's also something that is important to the show, that it's a part of what she did was 
and the show is, is doing is, is showing, yes, a part of her career, but it's also a document of a group of people that were living and making and working here mm-hmm. in Richmond. And I think that that's, you know, that's a history that can't be necessarily told in books in that way, you know. And that was something that I learned. I mean, I asked Jay and Angeline, who is this person? And maybe sometimes we didn't know or, or and then kind of finding those relationships. You know, it's got a time stamp that references its history, but I also think it has a, a history of, of a group of, mm-hmm. of artists working together. So, Well, I mean, along those lines, my favorite Cindy's story was that she convinced all the artists to participate in the first monster drawing rally and that it was her, some say encouragement, others might say arm twisting, but both were effective, that convinced her peers that this was at least worth trying once and maybe it would stick and be a great idea. And so that sheer will has manifested itself out to a list of artists 150, 160 long that want to do it. So, And one thing I think about that's sort of, you know, riffing off of something that you said, Park, and Jay, you said this already, too, about the 30-year cycle and things coming back and how it's so great to have this show up now for young artists to see. There's so many interesting ways in which this work has come back, you know, in terms of of how the photography is practiced now, everything from digital manipulation, essentially digital collaging and and painting and scraffito to a new appreciation and a return to analog as a form of photography that is being appreciated again. But then the other thing is that her spirit in this room in the gallery, being a part of this group of artists in 1980s Richmond, which was a very rich artistic soup, is inspiring, I think, to young artists to work to create those environments today. The connections with other people and the just spending time with others and making work with other artists. I mean, she, you know, used other artists as her models and many of these photographs. And there's such a a richness in that. The exhibition inspires that and rewards that if you've already been lucky enough to create that for yourself. You know, I would really encourage everybody to get out and and see this show and and experience it and, and see what it makes you feel and think about. And it's a beautiful, beautiful show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Look-See podcast. If you're curious to learn more about the art and artists you hear on the podcast, go to our website, lookthensee.com. There you'll find much more to listen to, watch, read, and do. You'll find images of artists' work, peeks into artists' studios, thoughts on the work of making art, and details about where you can see art in and around Richmond. Check us out. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening.